Please open your Bibles to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. We're starting this new series, and um, we've, we've got some swag to go along with it. <laughs> we, we did put these contact cards together so that you can grab some there in the foyer, uh, share them at work, share them at school, share them in your neighborhood with your pet groomer, or your hairstylist, or whatever the case may be. Um, really, the, the whole goal is to just give us some simple ways to invite others to experience the way that Jesus is transforming us and inviting them into the fellowship of this church, into our worship, and so on. So as priests, you know, you, you get to do that work along with everybody else um, as, as we're trying to, to help our community experience more of Jesus. Um, this is fun. This is a new series. I hope we're going to grow as, as disciples. I hope we're going to grow uh, in our understanding of, of the, the, the magnificence of Christ uh, as we're going to start uh, in verses 1 through 4. Uh, these have been called the, uh, Al Mohler, uh, leader in the Southern Baptist community, says that the, these first verses of the epistle to the Hebrews are some of the most remarkable in all of Scripture. So let's stand and, uh, as we read these words together. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you for how they reveal Jesus to us. We pray that you would send your spirit to help us love him more. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, we had a, a couple of catechism questions we just recited as a, as a confession of faith, right? We do that from time to time, and, and we were, they were just outlining how Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. Those aren't just uh, theological concepts that, you know, some, some old people came up with and we think are clever. No, they're scriptural, and, and you really see those here in these first four verses from Hebrews uh, where we're, we're looking at Jesus as the greater prophet, uh, the, the greater priest, the greater king, and there's a fourth category too, the greater son. And so as we begin this series on how Jesus is greater, uh, we want to look at, uh, at these categories. In verses 1 and 2, we hear about Jesus as the greater prophet, because long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Um, Let me just ask you a quick question as we launch. uh, What's missing? What's missing in these first few verses uh, as we launch into Hebrews? Uh, If you I have a, a devotional practice, a lot of us, you know, tend to spend time in the New Testament and those maybe the Gospels, a lot of times in the epistles, right? This is an epistle. Um, If you have your Bible open, for instance, mine says the letter or the epistle to the Hebrews. And if you read a lot of Paul's letters, it'll begin like uh, the epistle to the Romans or the first epistle to the Corinthians and so on. 
And, uh, and all of those epistles, those letters, begin with sort of a formula where, for instance, Paul, you know, all of his letters, we read something along these lines where he writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, you know, there's the sender um, to the saints in, you know, whatever city, Ephesus, Corinth, you know, Colossae, uh, and then a greeting, uh, something like grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? You know, sender, recipient, and some kind of greeting. And we do the same in our letters. Dear so-and-so, even though, you know, maybe they're dear to us, maybe they're not, who cares? It's a formula, we just do it. And there's almost like a formula you would expect at the beginning of epistle, but it's not here. It's missing, you know? Maybe, maybe there's a reason for that. William Hendrickson, one of the uh, scholars and commentators who uh, I, I think has a lot to say, says that the answer might be, must be, that the author wants to focus attention on the ultimate revelation of God, Jesus Christ, his son. It just goes right, he, he, the author just cuts right to the chase. I don't, you, know, you don't even know who I am. You know, this epistle, you know, we're not really going to mince words. We're just going to go right to Jesus, the greater prophet, the, the greatest word that God could give us. Uh, in a lot of ways, this epistle reads more like the gospel of John. John's gospel begins like this. See if you can hear any, any parallels. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, right? So you've got two things, God's word incarnate, you know, in the beginning was the word, and then you've got this creation motif. Same thing at the beginning of Hebrews. God's speaking, and he's the one who is over the world, right? Um, and he has created the world. He sustains the world, all of those things. So what better word could God give us than Jesus? You know, when you're searching for the right words, um, you know, when you're like, oh yeah, it's so-and-so's birthday and you're at the store, you're at Target or at the grocery store. So you go and you look at the cards and you're trying to find just the right birthday card. You know, I've got some old birthday cards here. Somebody knows me well. Uh, May the fork be with you, Essen, you know, for your, your birthday cake. Uh, how, about, how about this one? Uh, scientific breakthrough. Those who have more birthdays live longer. Like, oh, that's good. That's, that's good. That's helpful. Uh, and uh, in banana years, you know, like dog years, cat years, in banana years, you're banana bread. Congratulations. It's, it's a little, little, you know, a little edgy. Uh, and then the one, of course, that we all love, the, the flaming cake, you know, just that thing is torched. So many candles. Um, and we're looking for the right words. Like, how do I have fun with this? Or maybe you want to say something really, really sentimental, something really, really heartfelt, and you're trying to find the right card, the right words. And so when God is looking for the right word, what does he give us? He doesn't give us the prophets. He gives us the word incarnate, the greatest prophet, the greater prophet. He's better than the prophets um, and in Hebrews 1, we're told he's better than the angels. When we read the word angels, I, I think you're like me. We, we sort of have this connotation in our head of some supernatural being with maybe some wings and, you know, a glow and, and people are afraid. And so, 
You know, we think of angels in that line. But literally the word angel just simply means a messenger, a heavenly messenger. So when you read angels in Hebrews, compare them with prophets. They're just, you know, the prophets are earthly messengers of God and the angels are the heavenly messengers of God. But when God wanted to give us the best word, the final word, he sends his son. He sends, he sends Jesus. So look, if you and I wanted to get to the heart of things, we, we want to know what's at the core, what's at the center. Like, we don't want to mince words. Um, if I could go back in time and, and spend five minutes with J.I.R. Tolkien, you know, go sit in his study, go, you know, some English cottage, and, you know, there's his armchair and my armchair, and he's got his pipe, and I've got my biscuits and tea, and there's a fire in the hearth, and so on, and I've got five minutes with J.R.R. Tolkien, and how disappointed do you think I'd be if when I have to leave after those precious five minutes, the only thing that I had gotten to talk to J.R.R. Tolkien about was the stupid rain outside the window? It's always raining in England. You don't want to talk about the rain. You want to talk about Middle Earth. I want to leave those five minutes having some secret, some nugget, something like Wow, blow my mind with what inspired you to create such an incredible universe, right? Or maybe you're a Harry Potter fan and you get five minutes with J.K. Rowling, right? You want to come away with some secret about Dumbledore or some secret about, you know, how Hogwarts worked. I don't know. Just you want to get to the heart of things. And when God wants to show us what's at the heart of reality, what's at the center of creation, why are we here? And what is worth living for? And what is worth dying for? God tells us Jesus is at the center of the universe. He's the one worth living for. He's the one worth dying for. He's the greatest word that God could ever give us, right? So <clears throat> we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, actually. Theologians have some different theories, and there's some credible and, and good options out there. Maybe Paul, maybe Apollos, you know, uh, maybe some others. We don't really know who the author is, but we do know his purpose. You know, you can read the book and sort of get a sense of why is he writing. And what he's doing is he's writing to a bunch of, um, you know, they call them the Hellenistic Jews. They're Greek-speaking Jewish communities presumably spread out in lots of different places because there's no like city, you know, no address uh, for the letter. Uh, and what he's doing is he's trying to help them see, look, you don't have to revert back to Old Testament traditions and, and ways to uh, avoid the curse or, or to get blessings, right? Because what, what God has done is that in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. And, and those who have that, that um, sort of Hellenized or Hebraic ear to hear are going to go, wow, that sounds familiar. That sounds a lot like Psalm 2. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Um, so look, you know, the, the author is telling these sort of Hebrew Jewish people, don't go back 
to the forms, you now have the substance. And it's not uncommon uh, when you do a study of Hebrews or if you had to like order a book, somebody's writing about the book of Hebrews, they'll, they'll do a comparative religion kind of um, tack where, look, we're, we're looking at, at Jesus. He's, he's greater than any other way that you can get access to, to God, right? You know, greater than... Uh, than Muhammad, greater than Confucius, greater than Buddha, greater than all the other comparative religions out there. And, and there's validity to, to, to that road. Um, but I don't know how many of us are really struggling with the temptation to, to jump Jesus for a different, you know, religious leader. I, I know that that can be the case. You know, you've got friends or, or family members who maybe have done that, but I'm going to just go out on a limb here and guess that not a whole lot of you are genuinely considering, you know, hmm, Islam, I think I'm going to convert. We have a different, more pressing temptation. There's, 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 a, there's a great entropy in us, spiritual entropy, where we're not so much tempted to trade Jesus in for another figurehead, but we're tempted to lose our esteem for Jesus. Like we might be tempted to think that other things are, are just as, if not maybe more important to him. And if you'll allow me a corny you know, comparison, uh, I'm going to call this like the, the Doobie Brothers struggle. Who's the, who's the Doobie Brothers? Some of you know who the Doobie Brothers are. And some of you know that in 1972, the Doobie Brothers released their version of a song called Jesus is Just All Right With Me. And if you don't know that song, if, you, if maybe you didn't know the 1972 version or you don't remember even the DC Talk version, let me just read you the lyrics here. And this is like my way of saying, this is the Doobie Brothers temptation. This is the Doobie Brothers struggle. Here are the lyrics, you ready? Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. You're singing it in your head, aren't you? Do, do, do. Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right. I don't care what they may say. I don't care what they may do. I don't care what they may say. Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah. And look, in 1972, that was cool, that was hip, that was awesome, because back then, just all right meant excellent. Sort of like how today we say things that are the opposite of what we mean, like, that's wicked. Meaning that's awesome. And so back then, just all right was awesome. But today, just all right is just not great. Just all right is like, oh, that's tepid. That's bland. That's, that's okay but it's not great, right? We want great. My point is that for most of us, Jesus sort of loses his luster for us and Christianity can become less and less attractive unless we have a clear picture of who Jesus is. He fades unless we recalibrate. He fades unless we keep turning our eyes toward him. Our esteem for Jesus can go from great to yeah, not great, just all right. And we want to avoid that. And Hebrews will help us avoid that. He's the greater prophet. He's the greater priest. We read in verse 3 how he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you got a priestly motif there, certainly in the language of purification for sins. But there's another sort of not so evident, more subtle reference to upholding the universe. Did you know that the priests who served in the tabernacle and then the temple were serving in these structures that were designed to be a model of the universe. The tabernacle and the temple were reminders, little microcosms of, of the world at large, the universe at large. And so the priests would make purifications for sin and they would minister in a model of the universe. So what is a priest? A priest is somebody who represents us, right? You know, you think of a priest and some traditions even call them a vicar. Uh, you know, the, the, the pastor or the priest would be called a vicar because they're, they're serving vicariously in our place, right? Uh, uh, and you could imagine uh, in video games or virtual reality, your, your avatar is there in your place. It's not really you in that game, it's your, you know, your role player, something like that. So the, the priest is the human representative, and that person stands in our place. So in the Old Testament, the priest would stand before God on behalf of the people, bringing the prayers, uh, bringing the offerings uh, before God into the temple. So the priesthood is this human representative before God. But did you know that the, the priest represents God too. It goes both directions. He's not only representing the people, he's representing God to the people. The priest comes with God's words. The priest comes with God's admonitions. The priest comes with God's encouragement. The priest comes and says, yes, I receive the prayers of the people. I receive the offerings of the people. And the priest even comes with God's forgiveness. So the priest represents the people and the priest represents God and Jesus is our perfect priest. As one, and we looked at this last week, who is fully human, he can be our human representative. And as one who is fully God, well, he's not really God's representative. He is God coming to us in, as a priest. So there's no, uh, there's no human priest better than Jesus, right? If, if somebody's going to represent you vicariously, don't you want the best possible representative? Uh, if, if, if you're, well, God forbid, you know, you're out there and uh, you're speeding and you get pulled over, this time it's not just for speeding, but like reckless driving, and you got to go to court, and you need an attorney, don't you want the best possible, you know, representative? What if you get in an accident because you're going so fast and somebody's hurt and there's a lawsuit involved and so on? You gotta call Marks and Harrison right now. Or you gotta call Allen, Allen, and Allen. Don't you want the best lawyer to represent you? You, you, you don't wanna be on the phone with Marks and Harrison and they're saying, well, you know, all of our top lawyers are busy right now, um, but uh, we've got this first year law student clerk and she really could use her first case and experience. How about her? No, thank you, click. You call Alan and Alan. You're on the phone with the Allens. And you're like, well, all of our top attorneys are, are, are full right now, but 
uh, Mr. Allen's daughter or son, you know, who's in high school on the debate team is available. Would you like to have them represent you? No. You want the best possible representative, humanly speaking, to stand before you. There's no better human representative in, in heaven than Jesus. He is sinless. He is flawless. He is the perfect man. Fulfilled all the law in our place as our representative. And there's no heavenly representative better than Jesus. Right? He's God himself. He's, he's not um, a, an angelic stand-in. He's not a messenger. He's not an ambassador. He's He's God himself coming to declare, I hear your prayers. I receive your offerings. And I forgive you. God himself telling us he forgives us through Jesus. He's the best heavenly representative we could ever hope for. He's the best priest we could ever hope for. And Hebrews chapter 4 through 10, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Jesus as the greater priest with the greater sacrifice. A little, little sampling from Hebrews 9. If the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Meaning this, can you and I ask for anything more than the, than the God-man who came to earth as the priest and then gave himself as the offering? You kind of think of that's what the cross is. The cross isn't us bringing our lamb or our goat or our, you know, whatever offering, saying, please, God, take this in place of my sins or whatever. No, we don't. There's nothing that we could bring that would completely atone for our sins. That's the poverty of our spirit. That's, that's the devastation spiritually of our condition our bankruptcy. So we don't, even, we don't even have an offering that we can bring. And God in his mercy says, I'll, I'll give you the offering. I will give to you the means by which your sins can be forgiven. You know, we've, we've offended him and then he provides the means to have the, uh, the sacrifice, the, you know, the atonement, the, the forgiveness, the, the slate wiped clean. He, he even gives us the offering. And so that anyone, anyone can come to Jesus and have their sins completely forgiven, not because of what we do or we provide, but because of what God's provided. So if you're here and you don't know if, you're right with God. You don't know if you have his smile, his acceptance. You don't know if he's forgiven you. You don't have to look any further than Jesus, the greater priest, the greatest priest who gave himself for our sins. And he's the greater king, right? Not only the greater prophet, the greater priest, 
but he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, right? And again, this Jewish, Hebraic uh, uh, community who's, who's getting this letter, they're going to go, oh yeah, that reminds me. That's, that's an echo of Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You'll hear about Melchizedek later on in Hebrews. Um, these roles, these offices, prophet, priest, and king are not like separate silos. They, they're more like Venn diagrams and they overlap. So you've got like a royal priesthood here where the priest is also a king and the king is also a priest and the priest is a prophet and the prophet is a king and all these things overlap. Jesus is a royal priest. We are his royal priesthood and there's no greater ruler that we could hope for. Who else would you rather have upholding the universe by the word of his power? Who else would you rather have sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, right? I mean, I, I hear discussions, you've heard the same discussions in political circles about, you know, we need leaders who can um, get things done. Uh, we, need, we need elected officials who have influence and, and power and are strategists and, and so on. And it doesn't really matter if they're good people so long as they're good politicians, right? So what good is a, is a moral leader if he or she can't really govern that effectively? Fair enough, but we're not here to debate that question. I want you to imagine a ruler who has absolute power. I want you to imagine someone in authority who doesn't have to spend their time lobbying, who doesn't have to bother with polling, who doesn't have to garner a base, who doesn't have to you know, create a coalition, who doesn't have to do any of those things. Why? Because they govern by fiat. By what they say, it happens. Imagine that kind of ruler. What if there's no question about their ability to get things done because they're omnipotent? Does it matter if they're a good person or not? If that ruler has absolute power, you better pray that that ruler is absolutely good. Is there anybody better than Jesus? Is there a, a person who is morally superior to Jesus? Is there a person who's kinder than Jesus? Is there a person who's more loving than Jesus? There's nobody better than Jesus. And Praise God, he is the king. There's no greater king. We can't hope for a greater king. You know, lots of people, um, look, they, they have questions about the church. They have questions about Christianity and Christians. You know, you've seen the bumper stickers, Lord, save me from your followers, right? We get it. But they still somehow sort of have this esteem for Jesus. 
They don't find fault with him, but with his followers, with us. And sometimes that's, you know, sure, shoe fits. We want to repent of those things, right? But so what's remarkable is that people still have a, a respect and esteem. Not high enough, to be sure. He's not their Lord and their King. But over and over and over again, you hear how much people respect Jesus. And, and that's just consistent with what's going to be true forever. How around the throne in heaven in Revelation 15 is people are singing the song of the Lamb. Great. And marvelous are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Because you are the greatest King. Jesus is the greatest King. Which, look, gets us to the last point. He's the greater son. He's the greater prophet, greater priest, greater king. And if I can be honest with you, um, I, I, I'd let you in a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's, that's a terrible expression, if I can be honest with you. Yeah, I've been lying to you the whole sermon. Um, <clears throat> let me be vulnerable with you. That's what I meant to say. Uh, I've been intimidated by this series, like, as long as I can remember. I'm 52 years old. I've been an ordained pastor in this denomination since 1997, and I've never yet done a series in Hebrews. We did Revelation. I was less kind of like freaked out by Revelation than I am Hebrews. And it's not that Hebrews is like somehow not daunting to me anymore, but I'm more convinced that we need Hebrews to show us this compelling picture of Jesus because he's the one who is greater than anything that could ever keep us from God. Right? When we read Romans, how there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, we go, yes, and amen, and, and we have to hold on to that. And Hebrews is going to show us that again and again and again, and it's beautiful. It's so harmonious with you know, what Paul's saying, for instance. But the other thing that I think we need to be convinced of is not just that, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, that, that, that Jesus is greater than anything that could possibly keep us from God, but that Jesus is greater than anything that could, that could possibly get us closer to God. He's greater than anything that can get us in closer proximity to God's blessing. He's greater than anything that could ever get us uh, an in on, on salvation, on on release from the curse. And we all understand this. We all have things that we look for in the midst of our pain. We all have things that we are hoping to get that will calm the, or, or deaden the sensation. You know, you fill in the blank for whatever it is that's causing us to, to feel uh, sadness or, or anger or betrayal, right? All those places where, where life stings and pinches and, and hurts, we go looking for things that will help us hurt less. Every single person on this planet has something that they're trying to get in order to hurt less, in order to feel blessed, in order to have a sense, right, of salvation. Not just when we die, but today, to save us from the curse, to save us from feeling lonely, to save us from feeling estranged, to save us from feeling depressed, to save us from feeling futile and worthless. 
And as your pastor, I pray that for Tabernacle, I, I want to ask you, pray for your pastors, for your leaders. Pray that all of us go looking to Jesus because he is the one. There's nothing greater, there's no one greater that can give us access to God. Not just that there's nothing that can keep us from him, but there's nothing that can get us closer to him, right? Does that make sense? There's lots of good gifts that he gives us. Praise God, thank him for all of the comforts. But we don't want to let those things become idols that replace the giver of those gifts. And that's Jesus. He's the son. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And that's the name that he has inherited that is more excellent than theirs. There's no one more important to the father than the son. Should there be anyone more important to us so when the Son speaks, we should listen. There's, there's no greater revelation of, of God than through the Son. So when the Son appears, we should, we should stare and gaze on Him. We should worship Him. He, God has spoken His final, clearest, best word to us through Jesus. And there's nothing greater than God can say to us. Who do we listen to? And whose words give us hope? Whose words define us, whose words have the power to lift us up or to tear us down. Who do you listen to the most? Whose voice is most prominent in your life? Is it the news outlet? <clears throat> is it some you know, social media influencer? Is it uh, you know, your favorite preacher? I don't know. The truth is, the, the most influential voice in your life is not somebody on TV. It's not somebody on TikTok. It's not somebody on your podcast. The most influential voice in your life is not out there. It's in here. And that voice is constantly giving us a narrative. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. There's, there's something wrong with you. Remember that thing you did? Those people don't like you. You don't belong here. How dare they? What are they thinking? Those people are idiots. The sky is falling. Oh no, I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, do, you, do you have that tape? Am I the only one? <laughs> Does that narrative sound like Jesus to you? If you were to just sort of like pause and listen to the thoughts in your head, does that sound like Jesus to you? If not, why are you listening? Why do we, why do we listen to that narrative instead of the gospel? The words of Christ telling us that Jesus is for us, he loves us, he wants to be with us, he has blessed us, he has forgiven us. Does Jesus get the last word in your head and in your heart? The cross, <clears throat> as prominent as it is in Christian circles, wasn't actually the first image that the believers rallied around. If you go in the catacombs, you know, in Israel and so on, uh, you find a different shape. A uh, different symbol in the first three centuries. And it was an anchor. And that anchor imagery that we, we sang about earlier comes from Hebrews in chapter 6 that, 
that the gospel is this anchor for our souls, a sure and steadfast anchor. And that's basically just saying that Jesus is greater. He's our anchor. And he's always greater, even if your heart doesn't feel it. And he's always greater, even if your mind doesn't believe it. And he's always greater, even if your eyes can't see it. He's the anchor for our soul, even when it feels like we're drifting. So don't lose heart. Jesus is greater, no matter what. And he always will be. Michael Kruger wrote these words, and I'll close with this. Hebrews can be summarized in one simple phrase. Jesus is better. I'll, I'll say greater, but Jesus is better. There is nothing grander, greater, more beautiful, more wonderful, more satisfying, or more extraordinary than him. Amen. Lord, we ask for you to convince us again <laughs> uh, or give us a greater conviction that Jesus is greater. Not only is he the one who uh, will keep us close to you. No, nobody, no thing can get us close to you. Lord, we thank you for the gospel that you have given us Jesus, the greatest prophet, the greatest priest, the greatest king, the one who is the apple of your eye in order to make us your sons and daughters too, simply by faith in him. Lord, would you show us and keep showing us how great Jesus is. We pray in his name. Amen.